0: Good morning and welcome, welcome to Essex Church on this rather grey Sunday winter morning. Our community is made up of all of us who come to our doors. And so, whether this is your first or your thousandth time here, welcome home. We have words to open today to call us to worship by Patrick Murphy. We believe that many streams join to make a river, that the way to wisdom lies in an open ear and heart, that goodness may be pursued for the sake of goodness and not from the fear of punishment, that knowing and not knowing are part of the same and that ambiguity is permissible. and to join us with Unitarians across Britain and Unitarian Universalists around the world. We light our chalice this morning. It is our beacon of light and our symbol of hope. We light this chalice to help us move from untruth to truth to move us from ignorance to wisdom, to help us move from animosity to love, to help us move from bondage to freedom. We like this chalice to be a sign that we will affirm and practice truth and wisdom and love and freedom today and in the days to come. Amen. And I invite you to join me now as I call on the spirit of life and love to be with us and to enter with me that still place within where we find not only our inmost selves but also our connection to that creative and transforming mystery we might call God. We come into one another's presence seeking some part of ourselves knowing that we do not live alone, knowing that we cannot live fully if we are for ourselves alone. We come as ordinary people, each with strength and each with weakness, aware of our shortcomings, our lives set before us many tasks, and we are not always equal to them. Too often we fall short of our best expectations of ourselves, And yet here we are, not always perfect, not always wise, but always wondrously and mysteriously human. May our time together renew our hope. May the stories we share refresh our courage. May the songs we sing lift our spirits. On this winter's day, the first Sunday after Christmas, We bring to mind the many calls for peace in our world. God longs for peace, but we live in a divided place. Our thinking is often muddled. Our emotions are mixed. Our actions inconsistent. may, May we move from confusion to being a people of clarity. May we move from greed to being a people of generosity. May we move from violence to being a people of peace. God longs for shalom, for peace. God longs for justice. God longs for healing and wholeness. May we have the wisdom and the courage and the love to persevere when all else fails. This is our prayer. Amen.
1: This is a reading from a book by Jean Harris Novajah, I think. I think, um, called Sin, and I think Tristan shows me to read this because I have Catholic origins and therefore need to be reworked on this topic. Children know human nature contains the capacity for doing harmful, hurtful deeds. They feel this in their own hearts and see it in the behaviour of both children and adults. They recognise behaviour that is not just naughty, not just mistakes or accidents, but behaviour that is intended to hurt. We need to be open about this reality. In his book Yearnings, Rabbi Irvin Kula tells us the biblical commandments, weren't meant to legislate our thoughts and feelings or even our actions. They make conscious some of our most primal feelings and urges with the understanding that the more we can bring bring them to the surface, even magnify them, the more likely we are to master them and to do good in the world. Even as we affirm the prevailing goodness in human nature we also need to acknowledge that these temptations or evil inclinations live within us. We need to hold these temptations which sometimes become actions within our religious embrace so that there is a deep place for remorse, repentance and forgiveness. Perhaps also for redemption and certainly a place for healing and transformation. We need to acknowledge sin, to name it and to accept its reality and power. As we do so, we must be clear that sin begins as an impulse and sometimes becomes as an action but is never the defining quality of a person the clearest understanding of sin I ever heard came from a 13 year old girl in a coming of age program as we discussed some traditional religious words and concepts I asked what the young people thought sin might mean to traditional Christians I said To sin is to go against the will of God. What does sin mean to you? And 13-year-old Sarah said, If to sin is to go against the will of God, and if we believe that God is inside us, then to sin is to go against what we know deep in our hearts is good and true. Amen.
0: This story was told to me, and probably misremembered by me, by a very old monk who I met when I was on retreat in Alton. The theme of that retreat was forgiveness, and so he decided to start talking about forgiveness by telling us about sin. And it goes something like this. The devil was getting frustrated because people were too easily avoiding the sinful traps he set for them. God had said to him, it's all right to get people to sin. But, as a precursor perhaps for the European Union, he said there are plenty of regulations that you must follow, and you cannot deviate from them. And devil said, fine, fine, I can deal with that. And these regulations included lots of things particularly announcing when sin was on the way. And so before you, you would see this cloud of bright red gas when you were going to get angry, and you would walk into it and feel angry or green for envy. But you could also go around. And so people were avoiding sin. And the devil was getting frustrated because he felt he wasn't able to do his job. So he went up to visit God and said, Look, this is ridiculous. You've got to let me do my thing. Somebody has to sin. And if they're not sinning, why am I here? So God looked at the devil and shrugged. We'll come up with something then. So the devil went away to come up with something. And he sat and he plotted and plotted. And he stared at these puffs of gas that were coming out from his thoughts like thought bubbles, and he considered each one of the juicy sins that it held as it faded away. It fades away. He sat up. I've got it, he said. He dashed back up to God. I have a solution, the devil said, and it's really, really good. Instead of brightly coloured gas, let's have clouds of pale gas... Pale gas, said God. Fine, if that's what you want, go ahead. So the devil went back down to hell and mixed his pale gases. One for pride. One for anger. One for lust. One for envy. One for greed. One for avarice. And one for sloth. And he lined up the aerosols, and it spelled out, pale gas. So that is a story of the devil and his pale gas. If you are new to liberal religion, the word sin might be something that you are all too familiar with and may be indeed one of the reasons that you turned to the Unitarian faith path. If you're not a newcomer, you might be very surprised to see that I want to reclaim the word sin. Nobody here will be called a sinner. Being a person of liberal faith gives us the freedom to search and hunger for the good, whilst we are aware of that which is not. When I was a child, sin was a big thing. I went to a Bible Baptist church in the United States where it seemed to me that practically everything and anything could be a sin. And worse, they would be counted up and used to judge me. Luckily for me, by going through a very formulaic acceptance of Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Saviour, all my sins were paid for. These would include swearing, being selfish, hitting my brother, sexual thoughts, anything sexual pretty much, jealousy, laziness, and on, and on, and on. This theology seemed to rest on two verses of the Bible, and I'm sure there were others, but these two were the most frequently repeated. John 3.16 which is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Romans 3.23, for we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we hear this idea of sin get trotted out at strange moments. Floods are God's revenge for the sin of equal marriage and on, and on, and on. I was regularly reminded as a child that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that God turned his back on his son because on the cross, he bore the sin of the whole world and his father could not look upon him. And I remember thinking at the time, this is just awful. And I didn't believe that that could happen. It cannot be that the universe is so finely balanced and so arbitrarily balanced that God would desire death as a punishment, as a payment. And I remember my mum at some point getting into an argument with another person involved in the church because she said you can't on the one hand say that all sins are equal but on the other that some people are going to go to hell even if they're Christian. Mercifully. Universal salvation prevailed for us both. So let's get a little technical, not too technical, about sin. Friedrich Buchner outlines the plot of the Bible by saying that it is about God creating the world, the world getting lost, and then God's restoration of the world to its proper design. Getting lost is perhaps a better way of putting it than this catch-all word, sin. Sin. It's overly encompassing and it's far too abused. It's actually a term of art from archery to mean an arrow that has missed the target. So, if we go from a point of being lost or missing the mark, we can find at least two potential strands, followed by pretty eminent theologians. Reinhold Niebuhr goes back to Augustine and to Pride the hubris kind of pride, which boils down to self-centeredness. For Paul Tillich, sin is a kind of estrangement, the state of being separated from that to which we belong. What's more, Marcus, Bo- Marcus Borg points out, Tillich insists that we never speak of sins, plural. The separateness that he talks about is opposite to Jesus' repetition of the Shema: Love God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Already, this is a much healthier vision than the one I grew up with because, as we heard in our first reading, if God is in us and we become separated, then perhaps we naturally go in this circular path Where what is lost is sought, and what is sought was lost. So that of God in us tries to find us as we try to find that of God. Now, the seven deadly sins. Whether or not we have a relationship or had a relationship with the Roman Catholic Church, we have probably heard of them. Sin in general is usually beyond the vocabulary of people of a liberal faith. And we're not even today going to get close to talking about atonement, although I tried. I think, though, that the seven deadly sins can be very useful tools. Kim Crawford Harvey, who is the minister of the Arlington Street Church in Boston, redefined each one. My redefinitions aren't quite the same as hers, And she points out that it's a useful exercise because we're a church concerned with social justice and we often see these things in the world but we don't call them sins. We call them injustice or social wrongs. Pride. It is, as Niebuhr says, hubris, arrogance. We see it in some politicians. In others who feel they are above the law, or just think that they're better than everyone else. Anger. We live in a really angry world. Violence is all around us. Our fear of war is greater than it has been in a really long time. And yet the angry wolf is the one that we feed. And we often turn it on ourselves. Lust isn't just about sex. It can be. Or, as Kim Crawford Harvey says, it could be the uncontrolled desire for anything. It's about power. Whoever has power doesn't want to let it go. We speak of politicians being in power, but then that just gives them more. Because there's a line between authority and power. (coughs) So there's a need to let go. Envy. When will we ever be satisfied? When will we stop wanting the good of another? You may have noticed when the debate about Heathrow started, there were clouds of green gas popping up everywhere in the discussion. How will London continue to be a hub with Schiphol just across the Channel? London will lose its place. Great envy. Greed. Yes, there are people who don't pay their fair shares. And I'm not necessarily talking about individuals. Corporations, too, are greedy. They're not only greedy for money, but they're greedy for information. There's greed with regard to nature's resources as well. There are people who take too much unnecessarily. Waste is the symptom of greed. Avarice is its best friend, Greed's best friend. In this remix of The Seven Deadly Sins, they pretty much lead one to another. Often the Bible is misquoted about avarice. It is not money that is the root of all evil, but the love of money. It points back to uncontrolled desire. Sloth comes in many guises. Kim Crawford Harvey says it's when we just walk past a problem, There are so many problems. It would become overwhelming and lead us to be spiritually and physically exhausted instead of being in a position of spiritual and physical laziness. But we can all do one small thing. We can all make one small change. To quote directly from Kim Crawford Harvey... In practice, this is what sin looks like. Selfishness. Arrogance. Exploitative ambition. Wanton materialism. Wanting to do one thing but doing another. Wanting what we should not want. Hardening our hearts. Favouring the short term over the long term. Being unkind in thought or deed. Rationalising. Deceiving others and ourselves being a bystander. Now, in, with the seven deadly sins in the Roman Catholic Catechism and also for the Anglo-Catholics, you'll find that there are seven contrary virtues and these are spiritual tools meant to help you fight the seven deadly sins. I've come up with my own six contrary virtues because I've rolled two of them into one. So here's what I would say could be our tools humility it's not a new idea we need to remember that we are from the earth from which the word humility is derived we are not separate from nature and it is the emphasis that is placed on this false separation which is helping to code nature's destruction compassion do not do unto others as you would not have done unto you it's very straightforward. We could have the more traditional twist love God, love your neighbor. But who is our neighbor? Everyone. Temperance. Moderation is a great thing. Christmas was a couple of days ago, and moderation is a word that is often forgotten by many at Christmas time. And I had the unfortunate need to go to the supermarket on Christmas Eve my eyes just went wide when I saw the loads of goods in other people's trolleys and I couldn't believe that anybody would eat all of that and I shudder to think at what might be thrown away and then some people show up in the gym for the first two weeks of January, do things badly and then leave again because they haven't seen the results in inverted commas. Temperance has to work both ways. Satisfaction. I've rolled envy and greed into one so we can have satisfaction. Forrest Church, who was the president of the Unitarian Universalist Association, used to say, do what you can, want what you have, and be who you are. If we do those things, Who could help but be satisfied? Generosity. We cannot give to everything and to everyone as much as we might want to. But we can be generous with our money when we have it, with our time when we have some free, and with our lives. Because we can be generous listeners, generous helpers, generous lovers, generous friends. And finally, action. None of us is a bystander. We have different gifts and different motivations. My way of helping is not yours, and nor should it be. Do what you can. And so, my friends, I encourage you to see sin as a spiritual framework, not as a burden or as something to get beaten up over. Sarah, the 13-year-old in our first reading, said it, Perfectly. If to sin is to go against the will of God, and if we believe that God is inside of us, then to sin is to go against what we know deep in our hearts is true and good. And so, how do we reconcile ourselves? Micah, the ancient prophet, said, and I paraphrase, It is not thy sacrifice. The Holy One does not require sacrifice. What does she require of us but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with all that is holy, and with our neighbour. Amen. The Rabbi Abraham Heschel said, just to be is a blessing, just to live is holy. So go and live abundantly. Love and be a blessing, for you are blessed.